All right, so we're going to um, continue this morning. If you brought a Bible, we're going to be working out of the Gospel of Mark. You probably know that if you've been with us for a while. Man, we're getting close to the end of Mark now, but we're not there yet. And honestly, I think, I feel like the closer we get to the end of the Gospel of Mark, the deeper that the issues get that Jesus is speaking to. And I'm going to confess to you as we begin today that, that this is kind of deep water, man. Like, I studied it, and I prayed through it, and I'm still like, wow, there's a lot going on in there that I don't understand. And so I'm just saying that to you honestly, not claiming to be an expert, but I would encourage you to continue to read the Word of God. So we're actually going to be working out of Mark 13. And so if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, you can grab one there on the tables like normal, so you can grab a Bible, flip it open, check it out. Uh, that, the, a big deal to us at Family Bible Church is that you get your, your eyes on the Word of God. You know, we don't come to preach at you. Like, that's not why I'm here. I, I believe that the Word of God will speak to every person if you care to hear. And, and you might say, um, yeah, yeah, read your Bible, pray. Read your Bible, pray. But that's the problem, isn't it? It's become so kind of normal for us to ignore the Word of God and relationship with God in our lives. And so we, we shouldn't do that. So let's don't do that. So go ahead and get a Bible this morning if you've never done it and open up the Word to chapter 13. If you're sitting at a table with someone and they don't open the Bible, just stare awkwardly at them until they open a Bible. And then we'll all have a Bible open. That'd be awesome. Awkward is awesome. All right, cool. Um, I want to do one thing. I tell you guys every week, like, hey, you know, family groups are, are great. Family groups is how Family Bible Church does small group ministry. Um, we currently have two meetings, one on Monday night at my house and one on Wednesday night at the Harrison home, um, pointing to Ben because I don't see anyone else. But, um, and, sorry, Ben. Oh, there's the rest of the hair. You're all, you're, you're blended in. Uh, have you been exiled from the family? Is that what's happened? As usual. All right. So, um, but they meet on Wednesday nights and I wanted to go back as we get into the word, I wanted to go back to something that we talked about last week. Cause I think I just all week it was hanging up on me and I'm like, man, that's a big deal. We got to make sure that we're clear about this issue of the gospel. Sometimes we say things in church and we act like, oh, we can do that. No problem. Last week, I want to remind you that Jesus was asked what the most important command was. And this is coming out of our family group discussion. So I thought it was a really great discussion we had in my family group. And I'm like, man, I really want to make sure we talk about that for a minute before we jump into 13. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. We're in verse, let me just look at it here. We're in verse uh, 29 of chapter 12, real quick. The most important commandment, Jesus says, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what Jesus said. Uh, for a lot of churches, if you look at our website, look at all the websites, they'll say, love God, love others, right? That's like a tagline. Almost everyone's using, like, love God, love others. I think one of the problems we have is that we think, yeah, we can do that, right? I got up this morning. I can love God this morning. I can love people who are near me. We talked about loving our neighbors. It means those who are near to us. I can do that, right? I think that we're mistaken. And I went back and looked at the scripture because I thought, man, is that, what is it saying there? You know, the greatest command, Jesus says. And this is what he says, which blows me away. He said, love the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And this is what the word says. I got into the Greek, I did. And it said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. Is that what it is? Mind, thank you, yeah. I mean, you will is what the word says. It's not so much when, even in NIV translates it like, here's the command. But the way Jesus says it is, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you will love him with everything that you have. And I found that really helpful because the truth is this. We cannot love God and deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You can't love God and deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know we live in a culture where everybody says, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, you know? I mean, live and let live. People don't know. We all see different parts of the elephant. Listen, garbage. It's garbage. You know, John 3.16 says that, in, uh, that God's love the world, that um, whoever would believe in him would be saved, have eternal life, right? We know that. But you know, after that, but after that he says, those who don't, know the son deny the father and are standing condemned already like we don't we don't know that part of the verse right it, it, it's not like well it's one option among many and you know it'll be fine in the end it's like no if you don't know the son you deny the father much like being a christian and not caring about the word of god so that's one thing right and then loving others as yourself um this is interesting to me because this whole idea that um, we can do these things of our own power is exactly the problem that the Pharisees had. That's exactly the problem. They had a temple, they had sacrifice, they had hordes of people coming. It looked all awesome and religious. The crowds were there, and God was not pleased. Because the truth is that you, we cannot love God apart from Jesus Christ, and they were denying Jesus Christ. And we cannot love others apart from Jesus Christ. And they were denying Jesus Christ. Jesus said things like, if you knew the Father, you would know me. If you recognize the Father, you would recognize me. If you were part of the kingdom, you would see what I'm doing. But they didn't. And so there becomes the crux of it. So I want to say, the first thing I want to say as we jump in is just that don't believe the lie that you can love God and love others and deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need the gospel to do that. And I'll tell you why I think that is. The second thing that Jesus said is love others as yourself. And our group got into this great discussion about um, we, you have to love others as you love yourself. And someone said, and I've heard this a whole bunch of times, so I'm not, I've heard it a lot in my own mind, I've heard it, right? You have to love yourself first. You ever heard that before? You ever heard that? You cannot love others if you don't love yourself. And, and we can go, oh yeah, that makes total sense, man. And, and that's why there's so little love in the world because people don't love themselves first. They love themselves first, they would love others automatically. It would just flow out of you. That's not found in that text. That's all I want to say about that. Jesus says, love others as yourself. And by the way, he says, and you will love others as yourself. You know, it's really funny. I, I, I've sat with people, and I think I said this. I know I said it in our group. I think I may have said it in church before. But I've sat with people who said, I hate myself. I hate myself. And, and if you take that version, you say, okay, so you love others like you love yourself. If you hate yourself, should you hate others? Is that what Jesus is commanding? So if you love yourself poorly, should you love others poorly? Is that what the command is, the second command? By the way, it comes out of Leviticus, I think 9.18. Love others as yourself. It's an exact quote. Here's what I think the truth is, right? You can't, I can't love others until I know how much I'm loved by God. That's the truth. It's not about me loving myself enough. It's not. And I know it's kind of countercultural, but I mean, I could navel gaze and I could, I think I'm the coolest person. I think I'm the lamest person. I'm the worst critic. I'm the biggest fan of myself. I mean, it's the, I'm the worst judge of who I am. But God judges rightly. And more importantly, he has claimed us as his own. And so when we know that, what I think Jesus is saying is, and you will love others as yourself. You know what the Bible actually says about people who would say, I hate myself? The Bible says, Jesus says, no one hates his own body, but instead he feeds it and cares for it. 
And we know that's not always the easy thing, but that's what the, you, even when you're mad at yourself, you still feed yourself. Maybe sometimes when you're upset, you feed yourself more, right? And Jesus is speaking of that truth, those pains, and he's saying, when you know the love that God has for you, you will love others as you already love yourself. And so I just wanted to throw those things out there because I'm not sure the Wednesday Night Family Group got into that kind of stuff at all, but I just know that stuff's out there and I've heard it a whole, whole bunch and I thought, man, is that what that is saying? And I was open to that. Like, maybe that's what it's saying. Love, you gotta love yourself first, then you can love other people. I think if we love others in Jesus' name, will we know the love of God, we know the love of God in Jesus Christ, we will begin to love others as if it were us. It's different. The gospel is different. So I want to share those two things to kind of just throw them out there for conversation. I hope you're having a conversation with someone in your life about this stuff. I hope it's not just like, you know, show up on church on Sunday, check the box, and hope it's going to be okay. I hope that you know the Lord as your Savior and that you're trusting in him for eternity, uh, which is a lifelong journey if you don't know. So we're going to jump in now to Mark chapter 13, and this is going to, like I said, get heavy. I'm not joking about that. I want to do what we always do. I want to pray before we kind of expound the word of God this morning. I, I am no, nothing of myself. I'm telling you guys, nothing. What we need is God to show up and teach us in our hearts what's true in the scriptures this morning. So we're going to look at Mark 13. We're going to ask his Holy Spirit to teach us directly that we might know him more and be um, just more uh, connected to the truth of his gospel and who he is. So pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this day. And we, and we come here today celebrating Father's Day. And, and yet, Lord, we acknowledge the prayer that your son taught us to pray was our Father. And so today we, we first want to just glorify you and worship you for being the Father of all creation, the, the, the one who thought this was a good idea, that we listen to the birds and see the grass and watch the children running and playing. And this was your good idea, and we get to live in it. And that's amazing to us. Uh, Father, you are so good to us. And today we worship you. We celebrate you and we, we just praise your name. May you be known as the father of the fatherless and as the father of all nations and as the father of every tribe and the father of every broken heart and the father of every failure. May we come to you like our dad and, and just trust with you everything that we have. Father, of course, we pray today for earthly fathers that you gave to us, our dads on earth that, that we were begat from. Father, we thank you for them and our, their role in our lives, and we, we cannot say enough how awesome our fathers have been. And, and I know there are some folks who maybe that's not true for and say, man, my dad was not great, but you know, you're here, and we get to celebrate our created um, nature because you chose uh, to entrust us to our father's care. I pray for those who are hurting in that stuff that you would be a healer, <laughs> that we would, as we see the lack, the limitations of our earthly father, or maybe we're a father and we feel the limitations of our own, that we would look right past that to you and your perfection and we would say, ah, it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be the way you are. And may, may you continue to compel us toward that truth today. Father, we come here in the name of Jesus Christ to read, to understand his teachings, and uh, you know today's teaching is deep and uh, I just pray that it would make sense to us. I pray that we can get some morsels out of it that would really challenge our thinking and, and change the way we believe who we understand you to be. And I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would teach us in our hearts, our minds, that it would not be a human thing, that no one's convincing anyone, but that you, your Holy Spirit, would compel and convince people to repent and believe good news. May we be those people today. May I be one who would repent and believe good news. I thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity we have to stand before you. You're glorious. We worship you. 
and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark 13. We covered a little bit of this last week. We're going to kind of go back and come back forward in it, okay? Because I, I wanted to cover it both ways. We talked last week about the widow's offering and how the disciples were amazed at the glory, the splendor of the temple in Jerusalem. For those of you who haven't been with us, Jerusalem is where they're meeting for the Passover festival, right? The feast. And they were celebrating the time that God delivered them from their enemy, this, the, the uh, Pharaoh, right? You might have heard that song. Huh? The Egypt, Egyptians, that's right. And so the Passover gathering is getting closer. Jesus has been, and he's still, as far as I can understand now, this will change, but he's still in the third day here. He just left the temple courts. And I want you to read that with me in verse one. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said, look, teacher, what mag massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus says this, you see these great buildings, not one will be left upon another. Every one will be thrown down. And we talked about that last week and how we can be impressed with external things, but God is not impressed with external things. You know, we say, oh, look at all the things we're doing to glorify God. And he's like, it's not going to last, right? And Jesus then expounds his teaching. He gets into, this is a prophecy that he says that the temple will not stand. I don't know if you can imagine the, the profound nature of what he's saying here in, in the first few verses, but it's as if someone were at the arch in downtown St. Louis and they go, wow, look at the arch. It's so amazing. Look how big it is. Or they were in D.C. Look at the Washington Monument, you know. I mean, they, were, they saw these things that man had made. Look at how beautiful this is. And someone said with authority, that will not stand. It will be thrown down. The arch will be in the Mississippi River, right? The, 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 um, the Washington Monument will be laid across the plaza in D.C. It will fall. And you go, What? This is celebrating Passover, right? This is the big Jewish feast. I mean, this is this, God is with us. That's what we're doing here. And Jesus says, no, the temple is gonna be destroyed. There's kind of some different ways, and the reason this gets deep is there, we're gonna be combining a few things. We're gonna be combining this idea of like immediate prophecy that Jesus says something's gonna happen and it's gonna happen. We, we, we're combining this idea of what to do when things are going crazy and the world's going nuts around us. And then we're going to talk about this eternal thing of the Son of Man returning. Jesus lumps all three of those things together, kind of weaves them together in this story of the temple destruction. So Jesus says that it's going to be torn down. I want you to look at verse 3 with me. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, he was sitting opposite the temple. Check it out. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him and asked privately. We've seen this before, right? Where Jesus teaches something, and the disciples are like, What? And then they wait till they're alone. They say, hey, explain that to us, right? We've seen that happen before with the disciples. <coughs> I also want you to notice who's there. Here we go again, the trifecta, Peter, James, and John. Remember, these are the guys that got invited up to the transfiguration. These are the guys that have been, had these intimate conversations with Jesus, got invited into the room when the young woman was raised from the dead. Jesus just had those three come in. You guys come in with me and everyone else get out of the room. But I, there's one difference. Andrew's here. <laughs> Andrew's here this time. It's kind of cool, right? You remember Andrew's the one that went and got Simon, his brother, and said, I think I found the Messiah. And Simon went to Jesus and became Peter the Rock. Interesting, right? And so, so Andrew's there as well, and they're invited, and they ask Jesus privately, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? I want you to understand something, that whenever the disciples heard Jesus say, the temple will not stand. They weren't thinking it was a metaphor. 
And a lot of times in our modern kind of faith, we go, oh, it's an allegory, it's a metaphor, it's a, the it's a theology, it's kind of squishy, you know? But they took him literally, and when they heard him say the temple will not stand, they were like, what? And they asked him those two direct questions, when will it happen, and how will we know it's about to happen? Those are very concrete questions to what Jesus says is gonna happen at the temple. Something that most would have said, there's no way, Jesus, that's gonna happen. And they're like, when and how do we know? And Jesus then teaches, this is called the Olivet Discourse, if you've ever studied it, and it's just him teaching the disciples what this means. I wanna start with this idea, and it's actually, if you got an engagement sheet, it says in there like, I'm gonna tell you what I tell everyone, watch. That word, watch, is the point of this entire discourse. Jesus is talking to disciples. I want you to notice in his response, if my windy pages keep blowing around on me. Okay, look in verse five. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. That's the first thing he says is, watch out, look out. It means like to see what's about to happen. Look out that you're not deceived. And then I want you to jump ahead to the end in 37, the last verse of this chapter. What I say to you, I say to everyone, look at the last word, watch, watch. He starts and ends this whole discourse with like, look out, be aware, eyes up, heads up. I want you to see what's about to happen. Now we're gonna walk through it. That, that's the big point here is that he wants you to watch for some things. Right away, he unpacks some things he wants uh, uh, the disciples to watch out for. And I think it's fair to say we ought to watch out for now, even though I think it was very practical in that moment to the disciples. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. There are those who would seek to deceive you in your life. And he says, watch out. He's not saying it metaphorically, like theoretically be deceived. Watch out that no one deceives you. Look at what he says. Many will come in my name claiming I am and will deceive many. There will be people who will be deceived about the truth of Jesus Christ. Don't be one of them. Don't be one. Watch out, disciples. Don't be one of them. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, right? So watch out for panic. Whenever you hear things going wrong, I, I think sometimes we watch the 24-hour news cycle and we're like, oh my gosh, the world's a mess. Nothing's changed. <laughs> the world's been a mess since sin entered the world. Like nothing has changed. Sometimes we think like the depravity of man has gotten worse and worse, you know? Do, do you read the Old Testament where it says that the stench rose up to the heavens of man's sin? If if you've read the Old Testament, there's some crazy, scandalous stuff recorded in there that's sin. I one time I gave uh, my daughter a Bible to read at night, and she's reading it, and I went in and I saw where she's reading, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's reading that. It's scandalous. If you actually read what the Bible says, but we think because we're connected, all oh, this is new. Oh, look at the depravity man. Listen, don't be alarmed, he says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Such things must happen, but the end is to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and great famines, and these are the beginning of birth pains. So watch out that you're not deceived. Watch out that you're not terrified or surprised. But now here's the third thing, right? Watch out for false Christs. Do you see that? Many will come claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. Many will claim of themselves that they are representing God and they're lying. They're lying about it. Watch out. I mean, this is like a, a, a warning that goes to the whole church. And this ties right in with what we talked about last week, right? 
where all the religious leaders, Jesus like, beware of the Pharisees, beware of the Sadducees, beware of the, of the law keepers. We ought to be on, our, on guard, looking out all the time. Okay, not be paranoid, but man, just to be aware. I want to talk to you about that too. The, the power that God gives us to be aware. Look at verse nine. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Right? Again, this was not a once upon a time, maybe theoretical thing. I, I want to point out something. When it says you must be on your guard, <laughs> you know what the word is there in Greek? <laughs> Watch. I don't know why they translate it different here. It's the same word that comes like four, two verses before it. It says, watch, watch out for yourselves. Be careful, look out. You will be handed over to local councils. It's not, that's the same as like you will love people. You will be handed over, you'll be flogged. And look where? In the synagogues. The, the synagogues. I want you to remember something. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's with Jewish people. He's teaching people who are coming to the truth of the Jewish faith, not coming out of Jewish faith, coming to know the truth of the Jewish faith, and he's telling them, this is gonna change everything. And he's like, look out, it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost you something. So be on your guard. Watch what's about to happen. It says, you're gonna be brought on account of Jesus to stand before governors and kings as witnesses to who? To the kings and governors. Every time, it's really interesting, but every time that someone would, they would get, um, busted and dragged into court it was an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed <laughs> what <laughs> every time that they got arrested by other legal people or or by the state and they were dragged before a ruler it was an opportunity to testify to the truth of the gospel some of you have read ahead in the gospel of mark and the gospel of luke and the gospel of matthew you know that jesus does this he says down with the rulers and explains their position he explains who he is. Jesus is saying, this is going to happen for sure. Watch out for it. On account of me, you will stand before governors. And then here it is, verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. I think this is very practical. We go like, oh, you mean nations are going to rise against nation and all this. I want to remind you the tension that's happening in Jerusalem. They're being ruled over by Rome, right? They're being, they're, they're subservient even the religious leaders, when they want to do something, they have to go to the state and get permission. Can, can we do this? Can we do this? And then if the state says yes, they go back, yeah, we can do this. We got power, right? Because they were under the authority of the uh, occupied. That's why there was such a scandal about tax collectors, right? Matthew, the tax collectors were a scandal. They were stealing from the people of God. So here you got Jesus saying, look out. The gospel must be preached to all nations. And this is a very practical thing. Everyone must come to know the truth of who Jesus is. And all these things will be fulfilled, what he's talking about right now. Wherever you are, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, look at this, don't worry about what you're gonna say. Just say whatever's given to you at the time because it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure any lawyer would agree with that advice, by the way. Don't make any prepared statements, just wing it. Because the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say. But that's what God says. When you're brought before the councils, the rulers, don't prepare your speech. Just speak what the Spirit tells you to say in the moment. Because it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about testifying to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have this kind of breaking down. It's going to uh, cost us something. Now check it out. Um, 
so, so you got the Holy Spirit empowering you to say things. I, I just had a, a, a conversation this week with some, some gentlemen that I was talking about. Have you, have you thought about the Holy Spirit in your life? And I don't know if we really teach enough about the truth of the power of God. I, I just want to take a minute and just lay that out real quick, right? You know the Bible says that upon belief in Jesus Christ as Savior, you did not do that. I know I might step on some theology here, and if you want to talk about it later, I'd love to talk to you about it, but I'm not saying I'm right. I could be wrong, but my understanding is that God compels belief by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we don't save ourselves. And that might sound like bad news because you're like, well, man, who can be saved? Those that God saves are saved. That's how that works. But the good news is, is that when you're saved in Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit lives in you and cleanses you from the inside out, compelling you to do things like love God and love others. Not that we'll do it perfectly. But the Holy Spirit is promised to dwell in you at the point that you believe the good news of Jesus Christ. The way I look at this is like this. As you were coming to know Christ as Savior, maybe you're not like me, but this is how it was like me. It was like, it was like okay, I, donkey. I'm thinking donkey, right? Not donkey from Shrek, by the way, but donkey with the thing. And, and this was me. That's how I came to Jesus. You might think, oh, no, I ran to Jesus like, like Cole, I'm going to get Jesus. I'm going to give me a break, right? No, it's like, arr, arr. I was actually going this way. You know, turn around, donkey, dragon. Why? The Spirit of God is drawing us to Jesus that we might be saved because the world is full of sin and it's not how it should be. But, oh, brothers and sisters, when you're saved, now you're a cult. Now you're going with the bit in your mouth. Now you're pleased, and it amazes you. You're like, what? Who am I? Your friends start to ask questions. What happened to you? I don't know. God, Jesus, the gospel. The Holy Spirit would tell you what to say. How do you stand firm in persecution? You lean into Jesus. And not like a hope, but like, Jesus, you got all this worked out. What is my life? You will come and you will, you will pay a price. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Verse 12, look at how deep this gets, man. Brother will betray brother to death, Jesus says. In verse 12, and a father, Father's Day, will betray their children. What? I want to unpack it. And children will rise up against their parents and put their parents to death. What? Happy Father's Day. Y'all are going to be killing each other over this. You know what he's saying? The spiritual battle, or well, this idea of the true kingdom of God is so great, the synagogue falling is the least of what's going to happen. Families are going to be so mad, upset with each other, because it's always been this way. Your great, great, great grandfather offered sacrifices at the temple. How dare you turn to this one called Jesus? I don't think it's the the Christians, by the way, let's be clear, and there is Christian history of us killing people in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, which is anathema, is not of of God, is not of the gospel. But listen, this is not, it says they who, children will rebel against their parents. The rebelling children aren't the ones who are believing the good news of Jesus Christ to love God with everything you have and love others as yourself. The ones that are rebelling against their, um, the children who are rebelling against their parents are children who don't believe the gospel. How's that for Father's Day message? I, I heard a great, I heard a great talk this week on parenting, man, and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know? And I, I'm like, yes, it, it's so needed. 
Um, we have such a tendency, okay, maybe not you, I won't include you, but I have such a tendency to act in the flesh when I'm parenting instead of in the spirit of God. You, you think, you know, your, your, your kid's a nightmare. He, yeah, <laughs> so were you. And so was I. So was I, right? Why? Because you're against God. You rebel against your parents who are believing. But lest you think the parents' way is right, it says parents will uh, betray their children. Parents, a father will betray his child. That means you ha you're, you, you're a parent in a house, your kid comes home, they believe in Jesus, and you're like, you're crazy. So it's not that the parents are always right. You see that? It's what God is doing is always right. And then brother betrays brother, even to death. Man, listen, the gospel is divisive in nature, and it's not divisive in the way that it wants to divide people. It's divisive in that you're either with God or you're not with God. That's the truth of the gospel. You're like, oh, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll work it all out when we get there, right? It'll all come out in the wash. Man, we're going to read about that. I'm not so sure I'd be confident in that idea. Jesus goes on to say this, 13, all men will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. He's telling the disciples, they say, well, when's this going to happen? And he's like, man, life's going to get really hard for you guys. But if you stand to the end, you're going to be saved. And I don't think that's a standard like, I'm going to muster my strength to stand for Jesus. It's like you are going to stand by the power of God to the end, and in the end, you will be rescued. You will be delivered. You'll be proved right. Not for your sake, but for the sake of Jesus Christ, who is right. All men will hate you. I, I don't even know if we can know what that means. You know, you think sometimes you're going against the culture because, you, you know, we, we live in a culture where not many people believe. That's how it feels. I don't think it's true. I think a lot of people actually believe. They just don't know, don't really know what they believe, but they believe. But this idea that uh, we stand, but can you imagine standing in a culture where you're about to change everything? I mean, you're about to be part of God saying everything is misunderstood about the religion that you're in. That's a tough place to stand. And only by the grace of God can you stand there. All right, so verse 14, we're gonna keep, keep on packing it here a little bit. It says, when you see the abomination, now Jesus, they said, when are we gonna know it's gonna happen? Jesus says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand that let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So this is how Jesus, so Jesus says the temple's gonna fall and it's gonna be terrible. It's gonna cost you something. And then he says this, this is the most awesome instructions ever. <laughs> When it happens, run. <laughs> he says, run away. He does. Look, no kid. He says, run away. Um, look, don't, if you're on the roof of your house, don't go down to enter the house to get anything out. Just jump off the roof and run, right? Or don't uh, take anything with you when you go. Don't, if you're in the field, don't go back and get your coat. Just run from the field. How dreadful it be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those days will be, those days of stress will be unequaled from the beginning. This is, this is gonna be terrible, he says, when God created the world until now and will never be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would even survive it. But here it is, for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened those days. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it, because false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. So be on your guard. 
Same word, watch. I told you everything before it's gonna happen. This is, um, I don't know, you guys have probably heard this, right? I wanna talk about false prophets and false Christ for a minute, by the way. <laughs> but um, I'm gonna give you some practical advice because uh, sometimes you get around church world and it's like, you know, someone's like, hey, you know, prophet so-and-so is coming to town. Hey, have you heard prophet so-and-so speak, you know? I'm gonna give you some advice that, that'll help you discern if uh, a prophet is a prophet or not, if they're right. If they're wrong, they're not a prophet. And you might go, oh, yeah, Bill, we, we, we get it, right? Listen, I've watched in amazement as prophets in the church say, I have heard from the Lord, and the Lord says this, and the Lord says that, and then the time comes, and it doesn't happen. And the next thing he goes, oh, the Lord gave me a new message. Yeah, I bet. It's probably better than the last one you got. And you might think, well, come on, man, just live. No, listen, if you are going to stand and say, I'm a mouthpiece for God, and I want to make a distinction here, what we do preaching the gospel is just pointing people to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God brings repentance. We are not prophesying words. We're just re re uh, reflecting and re re you know, um, repeating the words of Scripture. That's all I do. But prophets say, I've heard from the Lord. Then you better be right, and you better be right all the time. Because if you're not right, either God's a liar or you're a liar. And if you're a liar, you're not a prophet. Wait a minute. What about a false Christ? No one would come and claim that they're Jesus, right? Yeah. I see that. Look. Because there are people who've said it. I am he. There are people who are walking the earth right now that say, I am he. And people go, whoa, a guru. It's the third incarnation of Jesus. No. Can he save? Can he save? Can he do anything? I remember one time I read a story about a guy who was fascinated with world religions. He was actually raised in India, and there's lots, you know, the pantheon of gods, and, and, he, was, and he was like, I'm going to pursue every holy man I can. And this is what his testimony became. Every time I got close to a holy man, every time I got to that point, behind the curtain, it was a lie. It was a lie. And, and he, he's like, I'm so disappointed. I don't think there's anyone that's honest. See, here's the thing. The gospel allows us to be honest. We're not God. God is God. And we can be honest. You don't have to be a guru. You have to be a believer. You have to be saved. That's different, right? <laughs> Jesus says, um, many will come. I, I want to bring it back for a minute, though, because he's not talking, I don't think primarily, I don't think he's talking at that moment about us 2,000 years later. I think he's talking right then, right there. And the chaos of the temple falling I mean, I want you to think about that. Thousands of years of worship in the desert, in the tabernacle. Now at the temple, it's been rebuilt in the, ta in the temple. They're worshiping God. It's the Holy of Holies. You might have still seen it. It's Dome of the Rock, right? It's been built on, what, three, four, five times? Everyone wants a piece of it. And he says, when you see the thing standing there, it should no longer stand. You'll know the time has come and you should flee. And in the chaos of that, People are going to try to take advantage by claiming they're prophets when they're not or claiming that they're Christ when they're not. Real practical concern as the temple is destroyed. So you, you have this kind of 
teaching, Jesus says there will be false prophets. And I think there were then. Um, by the way, I, I can't encourage you to read the Bible enough because if you read the Old Testament, the prophets, everyone's like, no. <laughs> the prophet's like, the Lord's going to destroy the, you know, drive the people out of the Holy Land. No. <laughs> they threw people in pits, you know. They tried to stone prophets. I mean, they, like nobody wanted to hear the prophet's message. You know how you know the prophets? Because they were right. That's how you know. Prophets of the Lord. So we have this. Look at Jesus says, 23 ought to blow your mind. <laughs> so watch, because I have told you everything before it happens. I want to remind you that when Jesus is teaching about the temple falling and about the chaos and the families and all the hurt, he says, those days will be cut short. The Lord will cut them short. They haven't happened yet, but when they happen, he's going to cut them short because if he didn't, no one would survive the chaos. So he's going to cut them short. And Jesus says here to double down, I have told you everything before it happens that you might know. So watch out. It's not, it's not a joke. It's, not, it's, not, it's, it's real. Look out. The temple's going to be destroyed. And I have told you ahead of time these things are going to happen. Okay? 24, this is the last section we're going to cover. And Jesus says this. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give us light, and the stars will begin to fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and great glory. He will send his angels to gather his elect. That's the same word, by the way. It means those who were spoken of. It, it's it's not, uh, not, we are not elect, God elects. That's how that works, okay? And it says, he will send his angels and he will gather his elect by the four winds from the ends of the earth, from the ends of the heavens. So there's this huge gathering now. And if you read this, I'm not sure, you can, people read it differently, but as I read it, this is a different thing he's talking about now. He's like, there's coming time after this, following this destruction of the temple, when God is going to send the Son of Man back in glory and power and splendor to gather the elect and to send his angels. 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. You guys remember the fig tree? Remember Jesus going to Jerusalem, he wanted something to eat, he saw, he's, he's like, it's, it's spring, it should start, have early figs on it. He went to the tree, there was no figs, he cursed it. Next day they got up to come back to the temple and it was dead. They're like, look, it's dead. And he's like, yeah, it should have been barren fruit, right? It was a season of barren fruit, it wasn't bearing any fruit. Jesus re brings back that same idea here and he says, now learn the lesson from the fig tree. When its twigs get tender and its leaves begin to come out, you know that summer is drawing near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know the time is near. Indeed, it's right at the door. But I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I'm talking about the end of time, which is a weird thing to even say. You always hear that thrown around. End times, right? End times. Eschatology. What are we going to do forever? There is coming a day. And this is the thing about the good news, right? There's coming a day that the Son of Man will return. If you want to read the way the Son of Man looks in his return, if you like really cool things, I mean kind of terrifyingly cool things, you know, things that can get you hurt or killed, uh, that's like the return of Jesus, man. It, this idea people say, you know, I, if Jesus, I've heard people say this, like, if Jesus is who he says, tell me, show up and show me. Man, you don't want him to show up and show you right now. Not as a non-believer. 
You want to be gathered up in the four ends. You don't, you don't want to be standing there indignant saying, I'll believe when I see it. And you're going to be like, oh, baby. You know, because if you read Revelation, it's crazy the way Jesus returns. The Son of Man returns to earth. So be careful what you wish for. But here he comes and says, this is the season. It's right at the door. Heaven and earth, heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of mine will never pass away. What do you think about that? I mean, heaven and earth is going to pass away. I, I've, I've been praying, you know, we're, we're doing the Gospel of Mark together, and uh, my, some of these things we just got to get our heads around, you know. You know, the Bible says going to be a new heaven and a new earth because the old things are going to pass away. It's not a new teaching, but boy, it sounds different, doesn't it? Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my words, Jesus says, my promises were not going to pass away. He's over all these things. His authority is greater than these things. He's greater than everything ever made, that ever will be made. He's greater than all the heavens. His words are greater. Now, 32. <laughs> no one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven. Listen to the word, guys. Nor the sun. What? Nor the son, but only the father. I was like, wait a minute, Jesus. You're messing with my theology. Doesn't Jesus know everything? Like, isn't that what you kind of believe about Jesus all the time? You know, Jesus like walks in. He's like, I know all your sins. I know all your struggles. I know all your blessings. I'm the one that's involved in all that stuff. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And you go, Jesus knows everything. And here is Jesus saying, nobody knows that day. They said, when can we expect these things, Jesus? He's like, no one knows. Not the angels. What angels? The ones will be sent. And not the son. Which son? The one that's going to be sent. But only the father. Only the father. I find this really fascinating, this imagery, because Jesus is raised from the dead, literally, physically raised from the dead, ascends to heaven, at the right hand of the Father, the word says, interceding for you and me, interceding for those who believe they're far from God. And right now, he's pleading, not, not pleading in a way that he's manipulating God's hand, but he's saying, for the sake, you remember the Old Testament, for the sake of five will you not destroy it, for the sake of three will you not destroy it, pleading for every last one who is elect to be saved right now. How can the Son of Man not know? Because he's too busy praying for us. What's, what's, what's it waiting for? It's waiting for what, what they say, the fullness of time, where God the Father's like, that's it. I kind of think it's like this, go, like that go in an instant and all the time we've been belly aching where is god where is mercy you've been swimming in it breathing it living it ignoring it lamenting it cursing it and it's over like that and everything you think is impossible is undone and a kingdom emerges a new heaven and a new earth amongst the people of god only the father knows and it's his patience and it's his mercy that it's not already happened. 33, what does he say? Watch. Be alert. You don't know when he's going to come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and he puts servants in charge. Each one is given a task. And then listen, and he tells one of them, you stay at the door and you watch. 
Therefore, you keep watching because you don't know when the owner of the house will return, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to everybody, watch. I don't know if we have that holy reference. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if we have that odd expectation. I mean, I'm confessing. I don't know if I have that. Well, I get up saying, is today the day, Lord? Is today the day? I remember um, I, I, there was a lady talking about her kids, and she said, you know, I, I get Jesus is going to come back any minute. I don't know, but I want to see my kids grow up, and I want to see my kids get married, and I want to see my grandbabies, my great-grandbabies before I'm dead. And I thought, wow, how badly can we misunderstand the kingdom of God, the fullness of all things? Listen to me, church. If God came back this morning right now in an instant, no one is going to be dissatisfied because you're going to watch somebody get married or grow up or sin or break or any repent even. No one's going to be sad because the kingdom is inaugurated. I say no one's going to be sad. You know what I'm saying, right? There'll be those cut off. Unimaginable. But for those who know Jesus, saved. We can get in all kinds of talks about end times, what's, you know, pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial. You know what I'm saying? All oh, the theologians spend their whole careers talking about this stuff. And I'm not saying it's not worth doing, but listen. Believe in Jesus Christ. That's it, right? Believe in Jesus. Are you post-millennial? believe in Jesus. Are, are you amillennial? Believe in Jesus. Are you premillennial? Believe in Jesus. You want to be ready. You want to be ready. And if you know him, watch. Um, I love this uh, idea that's taught here that, um, <laughs> that Jesus is telling his disciples to be ready. Because you know what happens in a minute? They fall asleep. <laughs> they do. Fall asleep right to his face. And we can go, oh, the mercy of God. How much he has for us. I don't know if you know that today. I mean, we live, this is an hour on a Sunday, maybe, where we hear the word preached. If you go to a Bible study, maybe you're another hour in the Bible in your Bible study, small group, maybe an hour there. If you have devotions every day, if you want people to get up every morning or stay up every night and you read the Bible, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, maybe 15 minutes there. But the rest of the time, the world's just going, not gonna happen, not coming, Live for you. you know, love yourself. Indulge. YOLO. Right? Believe the good news. Repent. Confess. Let Jesus save you. That's the enduring kingdom. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And then we're going to share a table together. I'm going to ask Steve to come up and share in a moment. Pray if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures today. We thank you so much for your prophetic word. And we know, in fact, that Jer Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple did fall to the Romans. And it was sacked. And, and people were terrified. And there's been no temple worship since then, really. And no one's been allowed to make sacrifices since that great Passover that you made for us. May we see our Savior in you. Lord, we're going to ask the impossible, which is that your spirit would move, and, and not for our asking, but for your good pleasure. Not because we warrant it or we deserve it. We are not holy people, but we're being made holy because you have loved us and gave your son to die for us that we might be free. For brothers and sisters who are here today, and they, have, they are like that donkey, and they're just dragging, and you've been pulling and tugging on them. I pray that today you would break through in their lives. 
I pray that by the power of your spirit, not man, not argument, not our, our fleshly conviction, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, truth will be believed, and sinners would be saved. Oh, it's a miracle every time. We know it because it's us. We know it because we did nothing to deserve your love, but only your wrath. And in your good pleasure, you poured out love instead. We thank you for Jesus on the cross who forgives all of our sins. We thank you for the spirit that indwells in us that compels us toward faith and life and belief. We pray, Father, that we would do that all the more as the day approaches. May your name be made famous. May your people not be ashamed to cry out to you in a time of need or to confess you in the public square or to confess you to a friend over dinner. We need a savior and you are he. Be glorified. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.